Genesis 30, starting in verse 25. You'll remember Jacob had to go into another land to find a bride. And he had to work seven years for Sarah. And then he has to work seven years for Rachel. And he's kind of become a slave. You'll remember four weeks ago or whenever we, we met that he was a guest in the home they're friends. Laban is pretending to be hospitable. And then all of a sudden he says, you know, how much you, how much you want me to pay you for your services? Which is a good lesson. I actually, that application was helpful for me last week because um, there was a volunteer, not in, in, in uh, Northside, but in Opelousas, who is working so much, so many volunteer hours, that um, uh, people began to say, you know, we need to pay them. And I said, well, you know, if I'm volunteering and then someone comes to me and says, let's put you on the payroll, that's a demotion. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm, you're my boss. You know what I mean? I was, I was a free man and now I'm a bond slave and now I'm, I'm a wage slave. That's a demotion. What would be better is to give them a gift, like a Christmas gift to honor them so that they can still maintain their freedom as a volunteer. That, so I, that particular instance came up. And then I had that in the in the uh, in the barrel because of this passage, and I thought that was that was good. Plus, you don't want them to have to pay taxes on it and all that stuff. Just give them a Christmas gift. Don't give them a W two. They thanks for your volunteering. Here's your ten ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Verse twenty five. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, "Send me away that I may go to my own home and country." Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. Can you imagine saying to someone, give me my wives and my children? Well, obviously you wouldn't say give me my wives, plural. But overlooking that part, you wouldn't say give me my wife and my children so I can leave. But the reason he says that is because he's a slave. You have to read between the lines there. He's a slave. Do you remember when they asked Pharaoh if he, if they could go into the wilderness and to worship God? <clears throat> you remember what he said initially? He said, the men can go. See, the devil always wants the women and the children. He uses the women to make his, uh, his satanic offspring. And if there's already some children, he enrolls them in his discipleship programs to train them up to be good little minions of the devil. So can you think of any stories in the Bible where the devil wanted the, the woman so that he could produce his satanic offspring? Well, right at the very beginning, God says there'll be offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. That's the first gospel promise explicit that God's going to make uh, the world hate Christians and Christians hate the world. Um, so that's the, right out of the gate. But then remember Pharaoh, he tries to steal Sarah, Sarah. Abimelech tries to steal Sarah. Another Abimelech tries to steal Rebekah. Put them in in their harem so they can make their evil offspring with them. And you remember Pharaoh and the uh, Hebrew midwives. What did he say? Kill the babies. But which babies? Kill the boys. Satan always attacks the men. He attacks the heads of the family covenant so that he can co-opt that and and have the women and children for himself so that he can produce evil offspring. Because that is the underneath everything, that is the satanic war. That's the war between Satan and God. The enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of of the serpent. Moving on, verse 27. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. <clears throat> so Laban, he's a, apparently he's a, a superstitious guy playing with Ouija boards. And he's come to the conclusion that he's rich because of Jacob. <clears throat> and is he rich because of Jacob? Yes. yes. Because God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So Laban's on the good side of God at the moment. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when I, when shall I provide for my own household also? You know, he just tired of being a slave. And he said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. 
If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. I'll keep working for you, but as a free man now, here's the deal. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb. All right, so he's going to say, let me walk through the herds, all the sheep with spots. And if you know anything about sheep, you know they're usually white. And some of them have like a tan spot or a black spot or something like that. He says, I'll take all the ones with spots. And all, uh, that's the goats, and all the sheep, I'll take all the black sheep. And there's occasionally black sheep. It's not as common as white sheep, but, you know, there's a percentage of them. And that way you know who's whose. That's a fair deal. I feel like that's fair. That's just as a clear way of determining who's, you know, whose money's is whose. And, um, and all that shall be my wages. Verse 33. So my honesty will answer for me later. So later on, you'll know that I didn't steal anything from you because they all got spots, right? When you come to look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let, me, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. So Laban knows a little bit about genetics. He knows, and this is true, you have a spotted lamb, spotted, uh, that's going to be more likely to make spotted ones. And so he takes out all a certain, he takes out basically a certain strand of the genetic line and puts them off in a faraway land with his sons. All right, so he's already broken covenant. He's a snake. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Hmm. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. So he's making some little candy cane sticks, little striped sticks. Later we find out that this is revealed to him in a dream, and he has some guidance from God. Uh, I don't think he's doing any kind of weird magic. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled, and spotted. Kind of strange, right? That's not how it works, but later you're going to find out why he's doing this. So that's the background, all right? But now, um, as time goes on, he, he gets way more sheep and, than Laban. Why? Why does he get more sheep? Because God blesses him. That's right. God blesses him. And, and Laban the liar is getting tricked. So it goes on, and we're going to go over to chapter 31, verse 1. And I'm not going to keep reading the whole time. We're going to stop here in a second. All right. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying... Jacob has taken all that was our father's. Now, isn't that like the devil? The devil is the king of projection. Projection. Do y'all know what projection is? When someone is in the gall of bitterness, when their heart is filled with bile, and they're mad and angry, and they're blaming it on the world, they always blame other people for their very own sins. That's just how it works. The devil is, what's his primary nickname in the Bible? Satanas, accuser of the brethren. And isn't it like them to say, you thief, you're sto- you stole all the flocks. And you see it's actually the opposite. That's true. Jacob has taken all that was our father's. He's greedy. He's money hungry. He's a thief. And from, that, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. Gets treated like a slave. Now he's getting treated like a thief. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. (laughs) So Laban was once hospitable. Then he tried to enslave him. And now he really hates him. Does this story starting to sound familiar? What is this story? It's Exodus. That's right. We're, 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 We're coming into what's about to be Jacob's Exodus. If you know the book of Genesis... This is a a recurring theme. Then the Lord said to Jacob, and here it is, return to the land of your fathers, 
Time to go back. Time to get out of town. Time for the exodus. And to your kindred and covenantal promise, I will be with you. Emmanuel. God with you. God to you. God for you. I got your back. Amen. Isn't that something? That's a, it's another way of saying um, the gospel. So God comes to him in a dream and preaches to him the gospel. Go back to the land that I told you you would inherit. I will be God to you, and I will be God to your children after you. So this is a gospel promise. So um, let's think about this. <clears throat> what are some of the sections of the Bible that this is parallel with? You should know this by now after going through so much. There's the exodus out of Egypt, right? Pharaoh drives him out. Any others? <coughs> What's the ultimate exodus? Y'all, got, y'all are supposed to know this by now. What is the, the ultimate exodus? They leave Egypt. That's not the ultimate exodus. There's a Passover lamb. There's blood on the lintel. You know, they, they cross through a Red Sea. They're reconstituted at Sinai. Their blood is sprinkled on them. But that's, that's all the types and shadows. Those are all examples pushing forward to the gospel. The, the, the ultimate exodus is Jesus, the, the true Jacob, right, who leads his people out of the old world and into the new creation and into the new covenant world and into a bright and beautiful future. He doesn't pass through the waters of the Red Sea. He passes through the waters of, the, of death. Yeah, and, and the blood is the basis upon which those covenant promises are kept. So Jesus, the gospel is the ultimate exodus. This is just another gospel sermon. Right? Remember on the road to Emmaus when the disciples were walking and Jesus appeared to them? And they, were, they didn't recognize him. He had been raised from the dead, and they didn't recognize him. And they said, oh, we thought there was a guy named Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah. Remember that story? And then he sits down, and they have the Lord's Supper together, and their eyes are opened. Right? He said, I won't have this, uh, this vine, the fruit of the vine, with you again until I eat it with you in the kingdom. And there he is. The kingdom has been established. He's having it right there. His Nazarite vow is done. He can now eat and drink wine. And he says, he teaches them, he teaches them in the Old Testament, in the law and in the prophets, everywhere that concerns me. That would have been, a, that would have been an awesome Bible study. But he went through right here, he said, Jacob, that's me. Right? These are real people in a real life history, but God has written this play in such a way so as to preach the gospel. And you know this, and I'm saying things I say all the time. There was a point in time when the, the Bible was a few of the tablets of the book of Genesis, right? And then they added another tablet and another tablet. Then they added the books of Moses, right? But they had this, this was their gospel Bible. This was like their Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John right here, right? So that's pretty cool, I think. But, but Jacob and his whole household, like who are they? If we were to say who they are today, who are they? They're the church. That's right. They're, they're, eventually, they're going to be the church in the wilderness. That's what the Bible calls it, the ecclesia in the wilderness. They're the church. They're the people of God. And Jacob is the seed, right? Jacob is the one through whom the Messiah will come. He's the, the type of Jesus, and these are his people. And who is Laban and all the people that, and Laban's sons and everyone that hates him and is persecuting him? Who's that? That's Satan's people. That's the world. So it's the enmity between the, man, the woman, the offspring of the woman, and the offspring. This is satanic. This is the war underneath all wars. This is the meaning of history. This is the people of God um, being persecuted and driven out um, by tyrants. All right, that's what this is. This is the history of God's covenant people. And uh, Jacob is, you know, he's the early church. He and his people are the early church. Early, early, early church. Right? <laughs> so, notice in the text, if you would, why does Jacob have God speak to him with special revelation and say, return, return to the land? I will be with you. Emmanuel, Christmas, Merry Christmas, Jacob. Right? Why does the God, in a special revelation, in a, in a direct revelation, Say the gospel to Jacob. What's the basis of it? 
Anybody? Sure, but God made a promise, right? But to whom did God make the promise? Did he make it to Jacob directly first? He first made it to Abraham. Abraham, who's Abraham's son? Isaac, and then Jacob. And remember, they live a long time, okay? This is a long time after Abraham, right, relatively speaking, right? It's, you know, probably, I, don't, I haven't done the math on this. It could be as long as the history of our country, right? I mean, someone needs to figure all that out, but how old was Abraham when he had a kid? And, and uh, uh, Isaac didn't get married until he was in his 70s. Like, this is a lot of time. And God says, okay, it's time for you and my people to leave this land into a new land of promise. It's a type. It's a shadow. It's a gospel sermon. And what is the basis of the gospel? Return to the land of your fathers. The gospel always goes back to that promise, to the the promise to the patriarchs. The promise to the patriarchs. Now, the way the church is constituted today is different in its like structure. You know, our Jacob is has an immortal body, and he is in a, the an immortal realm, ruling over the entire earth. We've reached, we've come to the full blossoming of this. You see, um, back then it was the patriarch who was sort of the priest king. Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and there wasn't as big of a group. It's still the same people of God. And God says, Merry Christmas. I will be with you. Emmanuel, God with you. Why? Because the fathers, what I promised way back then. And you can follow that all the way to today. If you believe the good news, if if it's for you, it's because it goes all the way back to Abraham and even before Abraham, to Adam and Eve. So I'm, that's, that's great good news. The promises are, are established on a very firm foundation, and we have every reason to believe them. All right? Um, let's move on to another point, a more uh, practical point. Notice how he gets guidance, okay? There's some, there's some, there's some providential things that are happening in his life, what we might call closed doors, right? <laughs> He's... <laughs> He's been working with Laban, and man, Laban really hates him. His sons hate him. They're turning on him. He's actually the honest one. He's been accused of being a thief. He might think to himself, wow, God's really closing doors around here. I don't really have a lot of opportunities. Um, But what could a closed door communicate to us? There's definitely closed doors, right? I mean, Laban's trying to murder him and steal from him, and everyone hates him, and he's actually just, and they're, you know, they're treating him like an unjust insurrectionist, just like they treat Jesus and just how all Christians are treated. But it's a closed door. But let's look at that closed door right there. If God says, if I go to that door and it's like, clunk, clunk, and that's all the information I have, what are the various options that it could be? Go a different direction. There's other options, though. Wait. Patiently, ring the doorbell, knock, right? Chill, right? <laughs> you know? A closed door does not communicate to us enough information to make a decision off of. So I don't, I don't hear people in Christ church talk that way, but I do hear Christians talk that way in other similar ways. And they're like, God's leading me to do this, got some closed doors. He might just want you to chill out. Like he, might not, he might want you to stop walking through doors right now. I don't know. <laughs> he, he might want to frustrate you. He might want to frustrate you right now. I don't know. Like you just because there's a closed door doesn't mean anything. It means something, but you don't know the secret mind of God, right? You have to have in, in tandem with natural uh, things that we see in providence, right? And Or maybe... Visions, dreams, signs, counsel, wisdom, uh, parents, other people in, in your hierarchy that God has established for you. But at the end of the day, all of that is only good if you have special revelation. If he says something specifically to you. Right? And, and Jacob gets it. 
Now, do we have special revelation that can interpret providence for us, right? Interpret signs, perhaps. Interpret um, the meaning of life. Do we have special revelation that we can look to and say, okay, I I know now for sure what I should do? The Bible. That's right. We have the Bible. Uh, he, now, he, this is his Bible. When, when God speaks audibly to you, that's your Bible, right? <laughs> Not anymore, but, but then. So this is his Bible. Now, he, he has other portions of what we think of as the Bible, but he also gets God saying something specifically to him. That's his Bible, right? And his Bible says to him, the world hates you. They're accusing you. They're slandering you. I want you to go. Sound familiar? I like it. I read this. I was like, oh, go, go. Interesting. Return to the land of your fathers. All right. Um, We cannot discern the will of God for our lives without special revelation, without the Bible. And so if you are an ignorant Christian and you lack knowledge of the Bible, you lack the knowledge to read it, to discern it properly, you most certainly are knocking your head up against closed doors and walking through open doors like a fool, right? You, you have to have special revelation to do that. Um, we don't follow our warm feelings, our cold feelings. We don't um, do things like that. We follow the Bible. And, uh, and by following the Bible, we mean specifically faith in the promises that he makes to you in the Bible. All right. Another thing I think that we need to talk about here is uh, haters, right? New levels, new devils, you know? There's always going to be haters. Haters going to hate, right? Um, but notice God, God raised up Laban, the big fat hater. God raised up Laban, just like he raised up Pharaoh, just like he raised up Herod, just like he raised up Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate and Caesar Augustus. God uh, forms some men and raises them up to be haters, tyrants, vessels of wrath to persecute the church. And we don't have time to lay out all the verses for that. I think y'all know enough about the Bible to know this. Um, but this Laban is one of the earlier examples of the, of the minions of Satan, the haters of God's people. But God raises up Laban, right? If you have a tyrant in your life that keeps stiffing you, like, can I please have my paycheck? And they're stiffing you, right? Or they're, they're lying to you. They're tricking you, taking all the spotted sheep and going off somewhere else. <coughs> I think we have to strongly consider that God created that person for you for that moment. Not only consider it, it's absolutely true, Right? Now, why? And, and if God raises up somebody that just hates you, they're envious of you, they're jealous of you, because um, that's all what's going on here. They're suspicious of you. Hey, that's from God. Haters are from God. The devil, if the devil comes to you, the devil is sent to you to afflict you and to deliver. What do angels do? Angels deliver messages. The devil's an evil angel, so he delivers false messages, slanders, lies, accusations, doubts, suspicions, whispers. But if he comes to you like that, the, de- the God sent him. He's God's, he's God's devil. He gives him a little leash. Remember with Job? Who is it that would go and, and, uh, and, and well, the devil comes to him for this one. But there's another particular story in the Bible where he says, who is it that would go down there and, and afflict this person? And one demon's like, I like afflicting people. He's like, you go ahead and go do it. Right? <laughs> that, that still happens. That's happening here. Laban and the, and the devil that, that is behind Laban attacking the, the head, the, the priest king of the entire church on the, on the globe at the moment um, is the devil. He's raised up by God, and God does that on purpose. All right? So why, though, would God um, raise up haters for his people? Why would he do that? I can't remember the name of the guy off the top of my head, but yeah. I think it's after the kingdom split. I want to say it's literally like he uses a lying spirit to convince one of the kings to go out to battle and get destroyed. Yep. 
He sends, a, a, he sends a, a spirit, an evil spirit to torment Saul. That's another one. And David, you know, played, exercises the demons with his, with his psalms, which we should be doing, by the way. But go ahead. So there's, this is the... But why? No, but why does God do that to us? I know, I've, I know a lot of y'all for a, probably a few years, I could go through and I'd be like, you got haters, you got haters. I've heard the stories. That, that person irrationally wants to just ruin your life. And, and, but why would God want to do that to you? Well, sure, yes. <laughs> That's always. For, and so you have to glorify him through the whole process. That's right, absolutely. To build up your perseverance. That's right. To make you stronger. Well, I was, you know, so we know all the answers here. We got this. We got this. But I, I read a new answer today that I thought was really good. It's to wean us from our love of the praises of men. I was like, dang, that's good right there. Nothing like a bunch of people hating you for you to say, I don't, I don't care no more what people think. I'm tired of trying to win everybody else. I'm about to, I'm done with this. Like, if you want the limelight, if you, want to, if you want to be the big shot, and as soon as you get to be the big shot, all it does is bring out the haters. You're like, I'm tired of being the big shot. I don't want to do that anymore. Isn't that funny? He does that, though. He knows that we desire the praises of men. And so he sends us some men, and he shows us what it's like to get their, their affections and, you know, get them focused in on you. I think that, that is so true. He, in, in other words... He's using Laban to drive Jacob out of there to something new, right? That's good. That's good. We're sheep, and sometimes sheep need to be driven, don't they? Sometimes sheep just need a little bit of feed, a little bit of grass, but sometimes sheep need a ka <laughs> And he uses, uh, he uses evil people, persecutors, tyrants on a global scale uh, and on an individual scale to give you that ka you know? Maybe you're being a little too complacent, a little too apathetic. I think that's good. God increases the world's hatred of us so that we are weaned. We're drunk on the praises of men. We love it. We're addicted. You know, hello, my name is Brandon, and I am a, a, a man pleaser. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm addicted. That's an old-fashioned Bible word, Ben. Sorry. I'm addicted <laughs> yeah, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to the praises of of people. You know what I mean? I love to see my name in the headlines. Like, oh, you like to see your name in the headlines, do you? <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> I want to live out in the middle of nowhere, and I don't want to deal with people ever again. <laughs> That's what he does. All right. So we don't want people to hate us, right? But the hatred of men is an antidote to our love of the praises of men. What a great truth. And I read that today, and I, th- I thought that that was really good. <clears throat> and what's better for us, the praises of men or the hate of men? It's better for us, probably. Well, sure, right? <laughs> I don't want Jesus to hate me, right? But yeah, but what's, you know, we're, when we're talking about evil men, evil society, you know, the world, it would be better that they hated you than praised you. In fact, if they're praising you, they're probably just fattening you up. <laughs> right? We would. Yeah, it's, it's safer. If it feels like they love you, it's probably around that time when Laban was like, that's a great deal. That sounds like a great deal. Yeah, all the spotted sheep. Man, go, that's a, what a great deal. That's when it feels, oh, they love me. They really do love me. So, and we can really get drunk on that. And so God, I think, sometimes says, no, I want you to love me. Remember I said in the very beginning, in the earliest part of the book of Genesis, when I gave you the gospel, I said, I'm going to make you hate the world, and I'm going to make the world hate you. I'd prefer to pass, honestly, but it is what it is. So the next time you you hear that, you know, somebody that the world thinks so-and-so is this, that, and everything, you say, well, that makes sense. They're a Christian. Right? Instead of saying, well, I wish they'd be more nice and winsome. Maybe they need to be more nice, but they might be being hated for no good reason at all. It's possible. So let's move on, right? Because uh, not only is he going to get some Laban in his life, he's going to get a little Esau. 
And Esau is going to, this is going to be next week, Esau is going to hate him even more. Esau is not only going to try to enslave him, Esau wants to kill him. And that's just going to uh, make him grow and, and make him go even further. Verse 4, so grow and go. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. Now, okay, so real quick. He's heard the gospel. Return to the land, the land of your fathers, covenantal promises. I will be with you. I will be God with you. Merry Christmas, Emmanuel. You got the gospel. The world hates you. I'm going to give you their promises. I'm going to bless you. But here's the problem. That's just Jacob getting that special vision. Right? Honey, honeys. Uh, <laughs> and you know they hate each other. The home's filled with a lot of drama. You know, things are not, go- are not good for, for Jacob. His house is drama fest. I mean, it is like, uh, it's like, uh, oh, I don't know, Gilmore Girls in there or something. It is a lot of drama. And so he's like, oh, yeah, so, so I talked to God. Talk to God, and we need to move, and you've got to leave everything. So what is that in our modern-day language? What's that? What would we call that? We call that, it starts with an E. Well, they're about to, he's about to exodus, but he's, he doesn't want to exodus alone, right? <laughs> you need your wives so you can have the seed so that you can have your household, and God said, I'll be God to you and to your children after you. He's, God's promised his wives for him, Right? And you get it. So he doesn't want to go alone, but he's got to pull this off now. So he's going to have to make a pitch to them. And what do we call that? It's called evangelism. It's evangelism. And you're going to see it. Look, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. Okay, family meeting. Um, And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. Testimony. It's always good to share your testimony when you're trying to convince someone to leave their entire life and go to a new life, you know? Share your testimony. God's been with me. Gospel promise, Christmas promise. He believes the gospel. He's a good guy. He loves Jesus. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. I'm not a liar, like the Satan says. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. And uh, we can talk about changing wages in the middle of a job later. It's a snaky thing to do. That's, that's garbage. But God did not permit him to harm me because God protects me. God always protects me. I, Jacob ain't worried about it. God's got his back. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if Laban then switched it around and said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God's taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Now, this is a gospel promise, by the way, because when you're promised the land, which means the what? Paul says it's the earth. Well, there's only so much of it. And if the evil are disinherited, the righteous are inherited. So God's gospel promise does involve some level of redistribution. (coughs) And he says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous so that even when the wicked have it in their account, It's just there on uh, storage temporarily. That's true. And God's showing this in a microcosm. It's being transferred to his people. His people do inherit the earth, right? They do uh, receive all the blessings. And here is a microcosm of it because, like I said, this is a gospel sermon in a narrative type of structure, okay? In a historical narrative, and uh, you can imagine people sitting around campfires and telling their, friend, their, their family this gospel all the time. We don't think like that anymore because we're illiterate and dumb, but this is the gospel in a narration. It's beautiful. Thus God has taken away. He's, he's redistributing, redistributing the evil wealth and passing it on to his righteous children. Verse 10, in the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. So, so you got to understand, he's having visions from God. He, this, he is the head of the church on the planet. He's a, the priest king. He's the patriarch. He gets the, he gets the Bible directly to him. He gets the vision, and he gets the audible voice. He sees these dreams, and then he, God sends a messenger, because angels send messages. Good angels send truth. Bad angels send lies. Um, the same goes with people when they share messages. Verse 11, 
And then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. So you have the I am. You have the house of Bethel, the house of God. Now who remembers what Bethel means? Well, it means the house of God. Bethlehem is the house of bread. Bethel is the house of God. It's where Jacob, a few weeks ago, had his vision of angels coming down from heaven to help him in a particular spot. It was another gospel message. And he built an altar, and he renamed it Bethel. That's right. He said, I'm the God, I'm the God you remember when you built that altar? And I revealed to you myself, and I, I renewed my covenant with you, just as, as, as I had done with Isaac, and, and just as I had done with Abraham. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Right? By the way, what does it mean to anoint something, to anoint a pillar? Set it apart, to consecrate it. That's what anoint means. It's to, it was just a pile of rocks, and it was anointed. And now it's not a pile of rocks, it's an altar. Okay? So it changes in status. Right? And what is the mode by which he anointed? It doesn't say that. No, it just says he anointed. I would assume that he poured oil on it. You would assume that. But yeah, I don't maybe what if he spritzed it though? What, what if it was like a what if it was like a, a spritz? Or what if he had a hyssop branch and he brushed it on there? Like, you know, like a or maybe a caulk, sort of a caulk gun, sort of a situation. So he's going back to when Jacob anointed the pillar from before in Genesis, right? And it says, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone and poured a pillar and poured oil on top. Oh, my, Aaron, that's some good scholarship right there. Aaron went and found us a mode word. See, that's the difference. That's a mode word. That's a mode word. This is a status word. It's so very, it's, it, I'm just, I, look, you guys, you are learning so much Bible, and I just feel like it's such a blessing to y'all. y'all are, there's so much responsibility, too, by the way. Y'all getting all of this. Like, if y'all don't follow Jesus, y'all are going to a hot hell, <laughs> right? Because no, people, nobody, and nobody in Acadia like, gets to learn the Bible and love the Bible. Like, we're so blessed. We are so blessed. And I get to just sit and just read this stuff and enjoy myself, and then I just, I'm going to parrot, and I'll just come over here and say it to you. But I just feel so blessed about it. But, yeah, he's a, it's a status word, and so that's, that's important. There's, there's words like that in the Bible. That pillar, it's a sacred pillar, and he made a vow to me. Where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Vows are a part of covenants. So if you, if you can understand what a covenant is, it's kind of like what we think of as a, a contract, so to speak. Um, but it's between uh, God and man, so it's all grace. If God, if God makes you a deal, if God appears to you and is like, I'm going to make you a deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not because you, er- you earned it. You know what I mean? And it's not because he needs you. you know, it's, like, it's, it's, it's not like he needed an investor or a business partner. You know what I mean? It's all grace. And so that's a covenant is this whole thing. It's, a, it's a, an arrangement between God and, and man. It involves blessings, promised blessings, if you keep the terms of the covenant. If you can understand what a covenant is, how it has blessings, cursings, it has terms and conditions, it has uh, ceremonies usually to inaugurate it, where vows are exchanged. It's all over the Bible. You'll see it all over the Bible. And that basis, that worldview, that covenantal worldview is where our world came from, though it's been lost. Federal government, who knows what federal means? It's the Latin word for covenant. It's why when you become a citizen, you swear a, a vow on the Bible to, do, to fulfill the terms of the citizenship covenant. And it's not just nation, but it's family. It's in, in businesses and in business contracts. It created this biblical concept of how God graciously deals with man in this way, created all of Western civilization. There would be no Western civilization 
if it weren't for this revelation from God as to how to interact with one another. You see what I mean? That basis has been deconstructed over the last 250 to 400 years. And as a result, Western civilization is uh, disintegrating and atomizing away from covenant structures into individual units so that we're more pliable for control. Right? And that's what Satan does. That's how Satan tries to restructure the world. Um, <clears throat> got a few more minutes left. <clears throat> so here's his commission. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. We're in covenant. You made a vow. I made a vow to you. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So what's, what would we call this in New Testament term, in, in our modern day language? He got the gospel. He got the God. It's, it's his commission. That's right. It's his great commission. It's his calling. <clears throat> Very good. And um, so why is he telling his wives this? I heard from an angel. God said he's going to promise me. Hey, look, you see how many sheep and goats I have, honey? Honeys? Like, <laughs> you're... You, re- you realize how rich we are? That's because God's blessings. Blessings based on what? Promises he made to my father and to his father. I'm in a covenant with God. And he's blessing me. And he's protecting me. He's always been protecting me. Laban can't touch me. Right? And now he's given me a commission. I got to go. But I'd really like you all to come with me. That's, the, that's what's happening here. He's trying to convince them. Right? He's vision casting, right? <laughs> That's right. God's always done that. So let me break this down because I do think this is true of every evangelistic approach, every gospel call, and every time you got to convince somebody of something, especially if you have to convince them of the gospel. All right? <clears throat> First of all, he's preaching the promise, okay? It's the same old promise that has always been the promise. I will be God to you. And to your offspring after you. Come on, wives. This is our, these are our promise. He's not saying this is just my promise. He's saying this is our promise. It's for us as a household, as a whole church community, too. He's preaching that promise to them. He's showing testimonies of how God has kept that promise, right? Using the illustration of goats and sheep, right? He's also repeating the promise of he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, what he promised to Abraham and Isaac. And he's giving, them, he's giving his wives examples of that. He's basically saying, God's made gospel promises. God's always kept them in my life. Okay? And we know what the gospel promises are because we just read, we read the earlier part of Genesis. Okay? But then he's also preaching the terms of the covenant. What must he do to stay in these blessings? He's got to go. Imagine him not going, right? He's preaching to them. We have a calling, though. We have to do this, right? He's, he owns us, and we owe him. But what else is he doing? He's giving Christian history. He's telling history for them. Every gospel has a history, and every false gospel has revisionist history. And every false teaching has its historians that build its historical case. He's giving the Christian history. And the Christian history involves God's absolute faithfulness over and over and over again. Remember, what does the book of Genesis mean? What's it all about? Well, Genesis can mean beginning, but it's related to the word genealogy and generations. And it's just one book of generations after next. Generations after generations. And what's the main message the whole time? These are the generations of Adam, and these are the generations of Esau and or Isaac. And well, it's it's succession of God's faithfulness to his promises. I'll be faithful to this generation, I'll be faithful to this generation. It's it's a it's history. It's history of God's covenantal faithfulness because it's a gospel message. It's a it's a he's trying to convince us that if you would trust me, I'll be good to you. Look at all this. See what I mean? I will keep my promise to you. And what is his promise? To be God to you and to your children after you. That's right. Which is why when you go to the book of Matthew and you open it up, the first chapter says this is the book of the generations 
of Jesus. And it does the same thing over and over again and shows how and now it spreads from Israel to the generations of the world. And we have the same promise. And we, can, we have the same history. And we have the same hope for the future. Now, he's also forecasting. He's vision casting. But what he's basically saying is God's always been like this for us. We're going to have to go. It's going to be tricky, but he's always going to be like that for us in the future. Isn't that something? But now Rachel and Leah, it's tough for them. It's always tough to follow when you didn't get the the vision, right? That stinks. Rachel and Leah probably thought, why didn't he send me an angel? If an angel would have told me, I would have listened. (laughs) But God very oftentimes uses our parents in the family and our pastors in the church And our civil ministers, if they weren't satanic, but our civil ministers in the society at large to lead his people. He works covenantally like that. He gives the message to Jacob. Now Jacob, as the the father, is commissioning the people and giving the gospel sermon and trying to lead them. He doesn't send everyone an individual angel. But he does send everyone at least a donkey, right? (laughs) That's right. Or a parrot, right? But Rachel and Leah have to leave their family, their whole family, and all their land and all their friends and all they've ever known to follow the one who will one day birth the Messiah, to follow that hope, to to walk in faith, right? So they have to hate the world too. If they don't hate the world, if they love the world, they will not leave. They will be like Lot's wife who, tur- who turned back and turned to a pillar of salt. That's right. They have to hate the praises of men. They have to give it all away. They have to give up everything. You think Laban's going to talk good about them after this? You think their brothers are going to think they've maybe perhaps gone off the rails a little bit? Absolutely. Probably went, oh, that Jacob... Oh, he thinks he's something. And now Rachel and Leah have done all, gone off and joined a cult. But I mean, it's actually a church. It's just a church. So there's a lot of examples like this. Ruth has to leave everything behind. Rahab has to leave everything behind. Right? Jesus has to give up everything, including his life's blood. And, uh, and honestly, that's what every Christian has to do. And when you have particular holdouts and non-negotiables with God... Guess what you're going to get? If he loves you and you're his and you're like, well, I'll give up everything, but not my money, not my reputation, not my notoriety, not my good looks or whatever it is. You know, we all have our own struggles. So, but God, whatever God, whatever God, uh, when he's walking with you and, and coaching you, he will, he will break you of those habits and make you go. He does. <clears throat> and here's another aspect of all gospel preaching. He always provides a stumbling block. There's always a test. Okay, now the preaching of the seed, when the seed is thrown out on the soil, what are the various tests in that parable? There's the birds, that's demonic um, doubts and messages, lies, that eventually come and say, that's not true, and snatches it from you so you can't even hear it. Right? If you're ever in a sermon, or if you're ever sitting under your, your parents trying to talk to you, and, and they preach to you the truth, and you're pissed off, frustrated, that's not true, that's a bird. Boop, bird just got that. Gone. That's the devil. That's the devil. Right? And, and churches are filled with those birds. Trust me. Pull it away. What's the other, uh, what's the other um, stumbling blocks? The weeds, that's the cares of this world. I want to be on, you know, I want to be a big shot or I, I want to be rich. I, I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, that's the weeds. The cares of this world start to and choke out the life. What are the, what's the other uh, obstacles, huh? The sun is persecution. That's your family thinking, you, you done lost your mind. You're crazy. I'm cutting you out of the will. I can't believe you would turn your whole back on your whole family like that. That's persecution. All your friends, all your friends are like, you're crazy. You know, you know this and you know that. And your boss is giving you a hard time. You can't fit in anywhere anymore. That's the sun. It burns you out. And then what else? What's the other one? It's the rocks. And, and the, 
You know, the, the rocks is the curse, the world. You're, you're not, able, you're not um, able to receive all the nourishment you need because your roots can't go down deep, right? There's always going to be stumbling blocks. You don't always think that for new Christians, and some of you are new Christians. The sun's going to come out, and not in the good way like the Beatles sang, right? And the thorns are going to come, and the birds are going to come. And the whole time, God is going to send you a Jacob or a dozen Jacobs, right? And they're going to tell you about when they painted white stripes on sticks and stuck them in the ground. And, and lo and behold, I got a bunch of striped goats. God's good to me. Now, how could anyone believe? How could anyone believe after that message, Right? You did what? Okay, you got, you're the dude out in the field with the sticks. You pulled the bark off the sticks. You stuck it by the water trough, and now you got all striped sheep. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that how God does it? He always sends a jackass to preach the gospel to you. You're like, I, I, don't, I, I believe it, but I don't want to believe it, because now i got to listen to this person. This, this is going to be humiliating for me. It, I'm telling you, if the gospel is preached, it's always that way. I've seen it so many times in my own life and other people's lives. It's always that way. There's always stumbling blocks. It's always your husband. God, couldn't you? Look, my husband's doing this. Couldn't you have just sent me the angel? Like, <laughs> I would have told him, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then you got all the, imagine the drama with Rachel and Leah. Wow, this had to have been a really hard time for him. These are real people. They really are. I mean, imagine the anxiety and the trial and the pain. Leave everything because I just painted these sticks and the sheep started coming out striped. And an angel told me. <laughs> okay. But they go. They go. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit he called them. The Holy Spirit called them by the preaching of the gospel. Amen. All right. That's good enough for tonight. Y'all have a good evening.